0: The book of Matthew chapter number 26, verse number 35, I'm sorry, 36, Matthew 26, 36 through 45. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, what? Could ye not watch with me one hour? say one hour. Could you not watch with me one hour? Don't worry, I'm not trying to grease the wheels for an hour long sermon. But I'm not necessarily trying not to either. Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest behold the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners all he wanted was for the last free hour of his life was for those closest to him to watch with him three times in his last free hour he goes and he finds them asleep and he finally says take your rest go ahead just sleep the hours at hand the time that I needed you is gone I want to preach to you this morning Something I feel like I have to get off my heart. I felt like the Holy Ghost spoke some things to me two weeks ago today. And I didn't want to just rush and just get it out. I wanted to pray about it and think about it. And hear, really make sure I heard what God said. Can I tell you that I believe that today, there's eternal decisions being made not just by sinners but by some of God's people that will make decisions that will direct the rest of their lives I want to preach about the power of one hour didn't mean for it to rhyme look at somebody and say there's power in an hour God, this is your church, and these are your people. The people you died for. And God, I believe that you've brought us here together for a divine and godly purpose. You have breathed your presence into this service. We felt it. We know it. And so, God, your presence is here for purpose. And so, God, I pray that you would anoint me to preach, anoint ears to hear. God, I pray most of all that you would relieve me of this burden this morning. Help me to obey you, God. Help me, Lord Jesus, to speak into somebody's life something that can alter their destiny. I'm praying for your mercy and your grace and your love. Not for your judgment. So God, I pray have your way here today. And do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. According to a website that you can put in your birthday and it will tell you how long you've been alive. This is my 18,841st day on this earth. 18,841 days is 452,184 hours. It's a lot of hours to live. One hour out of 452,184 is such a small percentage of my life that it is statistically. Insignificant. One hour. What importance can one out of 452,184 make? The passage we read for text today concerns what is called the Holy Week. It begins with Palm Sunday which commemorates the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Zechariah had prophesied that the Messiah would ride a donkey into the city and the people having been well versed in the scriptures saw him and began to throw palm branches down on the road in front of him in an ancient form of a red carpet, to welcome him into the city. Within a few hours, the very same people would be crying for his crucifixion. How quick the feelings and emotions of people can change. Here is how Matthew described the event in his gospel. Matthew 21 and 19, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna from its Hebrew origin means save us or please save us. Somehow from the Psalms where it first appears, In the Old Testament to the New Testament, the meaning of the word Hosanna had changed and morphed into an exclamation of adoration and praise. In the Old Testament, when there was no Savior, when there was no Messiah, Hosanna was a plea and a cry for a Savior to come. But in the New Testament, when there was a Messiah and there was a Savior, Hosanna became a word of praise because salvation had come to mankind. This verse took place when Jesus went into the temple and turned over the tables of the money changers and he beat them and drove them out of the temple grounds. Amen. People think they want Jesus for a pastor. To date, I've not beaten anybody out of here yet. He told them, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. The sacrifices of repentance were supposed to be offered from the heart. God's design was that a family would raise a sacrifice. And with loving care, they would keep that sacrifice until such a time that they would bring it to the temple to offer it as a prayer of repentance to God in humility and brokenness. But these men were selling cheap sacrifices in the courtyard of the temple, robbing the people of, their pow- of the power of true repentance. These men were thieves of repentance. Can I tell you this morning that the vast majority of deliverance in somebody's life is going to really come through real repentance. If you'll repent of your sins and do works meet for repentance, you can make your life uncomfortable for the devil. Praise God when we allow our spirit to be ruled by sin, when we allow our hearts to be ruled by lust or pride or bitterness or the flesh, when we allow our lives to be ruled by sin, it takes repentance to start a change in somebody's life. When you do works meet for repentance, you create an atmosphere that's uncomfortable for the devil. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, Amen. Back a few years ago, we had a student from Bangladesh that came to church here. He was a student at the university. And for a couple of years, two or three years, he came nearly every single weekend to church. And uh, thank the Lord, before, before he moved away, I got the chance one night to baptize him in Jesus' name. Amen. But one time we were in my office and there were some students from Brazil and I have a globe in my office and, and they were showing some people that were gathered in there about, uh, they were showing them where they lived on the globe. And my wife walked in and she was asking the students about what kind of snakes they had. And so the girls from, from Brazil, they said that they had anacondas in Brazil. And my wife said, oh, Lord. And she asked Audit, do you have snakes in Bangladesh? He said, we only have cobras. As if that somehow was supposed to make us feel better. She said, what, cobras? And he said, oh, cobras are only a problem during the rainy season. He said, it's in the rainy season that cobras go looking for dry places. They hide in places where the rain won't get to them. They hide in shoes and under beds and wherever. He said, because the cobras don't like the rain, cobras aren't a problem unless it rains. Amen. Rain makes the cobra uncomfortable. Can I tell you that repentance makes the serpent, the devil, uncomfortable. The rain of the Holy Ghost makes the devil uncomfortable. Can I tell you that the devil goes looking for dry places so he can get comfortable. And if your worship is dry, he'll find comfort. If your prayer is dry, he'll find comfort. If your praise is dry, he'll find comfort. Amen. One of the reasons I don't want to get spiritually dry is because I don't want the devil to be comfortable in any area of my life. Rain drives the serpent out. We ought to pray, God, let the Holy Ghost rain down in Bethlehem today to drive that serpent out of somebody's spirit, out of their mind, out of their heart. I want to make my life as uncomfortable for the devil as I possibly can. Amen. And so these money changers, they were selling these cheap sacrifices to make repentance as easy as possible with as little sacrifice as necessary. The motivation of the money changers was not to provide for worship and repentance, but to make a monetary profit off of selling cheap sacrifices. They exchanged money. They did so by dishonest methods, robbing the people. They would take a coin and they would shave the edges of the coin, keeping some of the silver or the gold back for themselves, and so when they gave a coin back in change to somebody, it wasn't really worth what face value was, and they would collect the shavings off those coins, and they would they would then melt it down and make their own coins, and they were they were getting themselves rich off ripping people off when the people were coming to sacrifice, and they were stealing from God's people, and so their motive for being in the house of God was not at all towards God, but it was for themselves. And Jesus saw that and turned the tables over and drove them out of the courtyard, cleansing the temple of their worldly motives. And after the church was cleansed, miracles began to happen. Amen. Verse 14 of Matthew 21. Immediately after, he drove out the money changers. The Bible said, And the blind and the lame came to him, in the temple and he healed them can i can i tell you that i still contend that when the church gets sin out of our heart that it opens the flow for miracles to happen in the house of god amen i wish somebody'd say praise the lord that when we get our hearts right with god it opens a a pathway for the supernatural to happen Can I tell you, if there would be some real repentance in the heart of people, there would be miracles that would begin to break loose in some of your families, in your homes, in your marriages, in your children. Amen. Because it's the power and the value of repentance. I contend that miracles are going to happen here. Can I tell you, there's always room for sinners in the house of God. Amen. People with issues and problems, regardless of who they are or where they're from, the church is open to people who need God. But Jesus' problem was not with the sinner, the unchurched who did not know any better. His problem was with the ones who knew better but were living an ungodly life. When the church lives right, miracles happen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I was Brother David Poole, I said, you're not helping me. And so Holy Week progresses through the Last Supper until we find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He had taken his disciples to the gate of the garden. By this time, Judas had already gone out to betray him. Therefore, Jesus took the other 11 disciples to the gate of the garden Amen. I was in the garden three years ago. We'll be there in just a few more weeks for those that are going. When I was in the garden, there they still have olive trees in the garden that, that Jesus had walked under that, that are thousands of years old. And they had just, they had just trimmed those, uh, those trees in the garden as so they had these stacks of olive limbs that they had trimmed off those trees. And the, the guy said anybody could take them if they wanted. So I took a handful of those olive leaves and I put them down in my backpack. And, uh, and, and they stayed in my backpack for about nine months until I went to cleaning out my backpack and all those leaves were crumbled in the bottom. It looked like I had marijuana stashed in my backpack. <laughs> I bought a new backpack before my next trip. <laughs> Judas had gone to betray him. And now Jesus takes his... Eleven disciples to the gate of the garden and he looks at eight of them and he tells them sit ye here, Matthew 26 36 sit ye here while I go and pray yonder and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy he left eight of them at the gate It was a reflection on them that when his time was coming to an end, that some he left at the gate and some he took with him into the garden. I find it interesting that the three that went into the garden and fell asleep, that none of them wrote about it. John was one of those that fell asleep. But he didn't write about falling asleep. He wrote about what happened in the garden, but he didn't say anything about falling asleep. Peter, James, and John, none of them ever wrote about falling asleep. It was Matthew and Mark that told on them. My question is, how did they know? When they were left at the gate, how did they know that Peter and James and John had fallen asleep? My one, what I wonder is if maybe somebody didn't say, just stay at the gate. That they thought if they're going on, I'm going to go. And so they sneak their way through to find out and they see as Jesus rebukes them. Can I tell you that if you get left behind, it's going to be because you made decisions to be left behind. If you don't go to his presence, it's because you stayed at the gate. But can I tell you that there is opportunity today for anyone who wants to to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. He has a soft spot for people who love his presence enough to go a little bit further to find him. To say, God, I don't want to be left out of what you're doing here today. He still has a soft spot for people who love his presence. And so we find them in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, as I've told you, is a garden that has these olive trees. The word Gethsemane means an olive press. It was where they would take the olives and they would press them and they would get the oil out of them. Olive oil was the chief export and it was essential to the operation of the temple. It was the oil that was used for all of the anointing. It was this oil press that the anointing was pressed out of the olives and taken to the house of God to fill the lamps, to anoint the priests. And here is Jesus in the oil press coming to his reckoning with God. Here he is coming to the very end, the last few moments of his freedom. One hour was all that he had left before his arrest, his beating, and his crucifixion. And in verse number 38 of Matthew 26, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. I need you. I'm coming to the very end. I'm running out of time. If my mission is going to be completed, I need somebody to be with me. And on this dark spring night, Jesus needed somebody to stay with him. After all he had done for others, now he needed somebody to be with him. He's alone, facing arrest, facing torture, beating, and death all by himself. All those multitudes... That he had healed when they were on their sick beds. Now they're laying in bed asleep. All those he had fed and blessed were nowhere to be found. The widow whose son he had raised up was not there for him in this hour. The woman who had the issue of blood, she was at home in bed. While he wrestled with death and sin, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were going about their own business. The Syrophoenician whose daughter was delivered wasn't there with him. The man who used to live naked in the tombs screaming like a wild animal had a legion of devils cast out of him. He was nowhere near the garden to be found. Jairus whose daughter had been raised from the dead was probably at home in the room right next to the room of his daughter sleeping soundly. The man whose demon-possessed son used to throw himself in the fire and then into the water. Not even one of them were there with Jesus. None of them were there at this moment of time. He said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. The cumulative burden of all the sins of all time were now upon him from the first bite of the forbidden fruit in the garden by Eve and the first murder by Cain, all the way until whatever's happened today in 2023 were being pressed upon him. The crushing weight of every lie that would ever be told, every robbery ever committed, every act of adultery, every commission of sin, every murder, every terrorist attack, every rape, every molestation, everything that all mankind would ever do, was getting ready to be laid on him. He who knew no sin was about to be made sin for us. The curse that started in the Garden of Eden was coming to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The oil was about to be pressed out of him. He was in the press and great drops like blood came out of his brow. The anointing that would save the world was being squeezed out of him. Hebrews 12 and 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be wearied in your mind. He said, think about. The writer said, think about the contradiction of sinners against himself. Jesus, who never did anything had every wrong ever done, laid on him. Jesus, who never hurt anybody, had all the hurts ever committed, laid on him. Jesus, who had never one time harmed anybody, did nothing but good, went about healing and delivering, had all the maladies of all time laid on him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. The apostle said he endured the contradiction of sinners. It went against his nature to have sin placed on him. It was a contradiction to who he was to have sin laid on him. I contend that the worst part of the cross was not the nails. It was not the crown of thorns. It was not the dying. But the worst part of the cross was that Jesus, the sinless one, had to carry the sins of every one of us on him. God, help me this morning. God, help me this morning. Oh, God, I pray you help me preach what I feel this morning. Church, sometimes I come in here and I tell jokes and I try to get you all hyped up and you say amen, but you're to have to let me express my burden this morning and you're going to have to let me preach to you that Jesus was coming to grips with sin all alone and all he asked was that His three closest disciples would spend one hour sitting with Him during the worst moment of His life. He had been spending almost every hour of every day with these men for three years. They had forsaken all to follow Him. They left their family businesses. One had missed His father's funeral. Jesus understood that they loved Him. They had given Him every waking hour of their lives to follow him. He knew this, but he also knew that every one of them would give their life as a martyr in his cause, all except John, who would be dipped in hot oil for his testimony. Jesus knew this, yet he asked them for just one more hour. It's the least that his friends could do. Time was running out. The last hour of his freedom was counting down. He had looked into the cup. He knew what was coming. One hour was all he had left. Every minute was precious. Every second was important. Can you not watch with me for one hour? You needed me, Nathaniel, when you were under the fig tree. And I came to you. Peter, you needed me when you were drowning on the stormy sea and I picked you up. You needed me when you were nobody going nowhere. But now I'm running out of time and I need you and I need you to watch with me for one hour. I'm running out of time. Just stir yourself for one last hour? Is it too much trouble while I'm fighting for the salvation of the world for you to wake yourself for just 60 minutes? He knew they were tired. He understood they were weary. But he also knew that it was the last hour That they got to spend with him. Alive on this earth. 3600 seconds. Ticking down. Before Roman soldiers seized him. He had lived somewhere around 286,000 hours. Again, one hour was statistically insignificant. But now, it's not just any hour. It's the final hour. He knew... That very soon, a Roman soldier was going to grab a whip, a cat of nine tails, and rip the flesh off of his back. He knew very soon a crown of thorns would be pressed into his flesh and blood would stream down his forehead. In a little bit, Roman soldiers would punch his face, beat him, until he was unrecognizable and nearly unconscious. One rund- random hour doesn't statistically mean much. But if it's your final hour, it means everything in the world. What can happen in one hour? Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He's wrestling with this flesh. Jesus did not want to be beaten. He did not want to feel nails pierce his skin. He did not want to die on a cross over six long hours. But he understood, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. And the minutes and the seconds ticked by while his disciples lay there. Verse 40 and 41, he cometh to the disciples And findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. Now my question is, why did he single out Peter? Why didn't he say James? James was there. Why didn't he say John? John was there. The reason I believe he said Peter wasn't just a matter of a little bit. Peter was going to have the opportunity to claim him. And Peter would deny him three times in that night. And he looked at Peter. If you can't watch with me for one hour, you can't talk yourself. You can't make yourself agree that I'm fi- that you follow me. If you can't stay awake for one hour, when the pressure comes and the heat comes... You're going to deny me before man. And so he says, can you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. In just a minute, Peter, in just a little bit, you're going to be faced with an opportunity to deny me. And you're going to have to make a choice. And if you can't stay awake for one hour, you're not going to have the strength to stand. And so Peter denies the Lord. It's no time to sleep, it's no time to rest. Look, I understand, I preach this message on the night you got an hour less sleep. And so whatever the time says it is, to you it's an hour earlier, to your body. Time change, you didn't get as much sleep. You should've went to bed early like I did, like I do. It's not time to sleep, it's not time to rest. It's time to pray. But the disciples lacked understanding of the time. They didn't know that while they were laying down in a garden, that in other places, Judas was getting 30 pieces of silver to buy, to sell the life of Jesus. They didn't understand that the high priest was rousing the Sanhedrin council to get them ready to convict Jesus. And that while they were sleeping in the garden, Roman soldiers are being roused from sleep so they could go arrest Jesus. They could rest because they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes that they couldn't see. Can I tell you that you need to be very careful about how you approach living for God because there's always stuff going on in other places in the spirit that you're not aware of. You may think you have one morning Just to take it easy. But you don't know that somewhere out there the devil may have laid plans to have your marriage, to have your family, to have your children. It's never time to sleep. It's time to stir yourself. It's one hour. Can I tell you we're racing down to the end of time. If you're going to stir yourself, stir yourself now. The clock is ticking. What can happen in one hour? In one hour Judas can sell Jesus. In one hour, Roman soldiers can be roused to go to the garden. In one hour, the high priest created a plan to get Rome to kill Jesus for him. All of it in one hour. While the disciples were sleeping, the machinations of destruction of the life of Christ were in motion. In that one hour, the end game for redemption was being set in motion. In that one hour... The cross entered the picture. Jews didn't hang people. Romans hung people. And in that one hour, Jesus went from being a Jewish problem to being a Roman problem. And the cross came into play. In one hour, in one hour, everything changed. Within the one hour, within that one hour, it paved the way for the cross, for the tomb, and for the upper room. That's the difference one hour can make. Without this hour, there's no salvation. That hour made all the difference in the world. I'm not the Lord, so I'm not going to ask you for an hour, but can you give me ten good minutes? Please. Revelation, in the Bible, there's probably no more descriptive type and shadow of the kingdom of darkness than that of Babylon. Revelation 18, 16 talks about Babylon. In verse 16, it says, saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Babylon had the best of everything. The best of all things, fine linen. Purple and scarlet clothing, colors that because of how expensive they were to make, it was only the colors that kings would wear. Decked with gold, precious stones and pearls, covered in jewelry, Babylon had everything. Babylon was wealthy and powerful. It's like the kingdom of darkness, it offers everything. Promises joy and comfort and happiness. Who wouldn't want what Babylon offers? But anyone who understands the Bible can tell you that what the devil promises in the end becomes destruction. Can I tell you if the devil's trying to make you see joy in the world he's got a plan to destroy you. If he's showing you all the joys and all the riches of the world there's a plan laid for your soul. It promises everything. Verse number 17 of Revelation 18. Notice this phrase, for in one hour, everybody say one one hour. So great riches is come to naught. Every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood afar off. Everything you ever had, Babylon, is gone in one hour. In just a moment, everything changed. At one point, it looked like everything in life was perfect, and in an hour, it was all gone. Can I tell you, the devil knows how to rock people's lives. All it takes is one phone call. All it takes is one thing, and everything in life can be flipped upside down. One moment, one hour. The Bible said in Revelation 18 and 19, they saw the smoke of her burning and said, What city is likened to this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city, wherein were made rich all the headships in sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. One hour changed everything. One hour turned everything around. Last year, I had the privilege of preaching in a women's prison in another state. A few hundred inmates. There's one particular inmate there that caught the attention of our group. One of the nicest, most helpful people you'll ever meet. She helped the conference staff. She helped us with everything. She loaded boxes, carried boxes, set up chairs, did everything. She was a blessing to that conference and that church goes in every week for services and she's a blessing to their prison ministry. She had been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost in prison. And so I wondered how did she get there? And so after the services, the first night, when I got to the hotel, I Googled her story. I found out that at one time she was one of the most respected doctors in her state. She was wealthy, had everything life had to offer. Her and her husband had adopted a child. It looked like life was going great for her. One of the articles I read talked about her mansion and her Mercedes. She had a great career, a beautiful family, more money than she could ever need. Everything was great until one day, truthfully, one hour of one day, she snapped. In a matter of moments, her child was dead, and she would spend the rest of her life in prison without parole. All the years of school, All the years building her career, helping people. Gone like that. In a matter of moments, everything changed. My friends, today, right now, for somebody is the most important hour of your life. In a mere matter of moments, you're going to make decisions that will chart your destiny for the rest of your life. Today, right now, is the most important hour of your life. In the Gospels, one hour brought hope. In Revelation, one hour brought destruction. Destinies shape. In one hour. In the Bible, there's a woman by the name of Naomi whose bad decisions led her down a path of destruction. She leaves Bethlehem and she goes to Moab. And in short order, her husband dies and then her two sons. After all the suffering and all of the pain and all the grief, she makes her decision to go back to Bethlehem. She says, I went out full, but now I'm returning empty. I had everything, now I have nothing. She turns to her two widowed daughters-in-law. And now they have to make their own decision. In Ruth 1.14, they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clave unto her. In one moment, Orpah made the decision of her life. I can go to Bethlehem and find God, but I am going to stay in Moab. And so she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, and we never hear from her again. Ruth has the same decision, but she chose to stay with Naomi and go to Bethlehem. And she became the great-grandmother of a king and a matriarch of a messiah. The hour of decision made all the difference in the world. For someone here today, this is your most important hour. As your eyes are closed all over this place, some of you I've preached you to sleep, I've looked out and I've watched you as you sat there and slept while I tried my best to deliver what God put on my heart. Sorry if I didn't make it exciting enough. Sorry if I didn't make it interesting enough. I'm sorry if maybe it didn't stir your emotions. But may I tell you that your decisions make all the difference in the world. Someone today will decide to repent or to stay bound by sin. Some will decide to forgive or decide to let bitterness destroy them. Some will decide to yield to the Spirit of God. Others will decide to go ahead and live in their sin. All of those decisions made in one hour. Oh, the value of a moment in God. Sitting across this auditorium, we have people that came to a decision moment. We have men and women whose lives were bound and broken by sin, by addiction, by this world. And like the prodigal son, they came to themselves. And said, why am I living this way when I can go to my father's house? And that moment of decision changed everything for their families. The power of an hour. Everything can change in one moment as your eyes are closed all over this place the Lord began to deal with me two weeks ago this morning I felt like he showed me something in the spirit and for two weeks I've been praying that God would reverse it and turn it that there were some people who were heading down a path that in the end was going to destroy them and they were going to destroy others. I don't feel like God showed it to me just so I had to see it and live with it. I believe He showed it to me because He wants to change it and alter it. He wants somebody to find their moment of repentance today. He wants somebody to come to that decision point like Ruth did when one went one way she went the other. This moment of time can make all the difference in the world. I wonder if I have any intercessors praying That God would stir somebody's soul today. I wonder if anybody could pray that an anointing from heaven would begin to move in this place. Judas had three years to change his mind. Finally, in the upper room, Jesus looked at him and said, what you do, do quickly. It's your moment of decision, Judas. If you're going out, go. But one more time, he reached for him. Lord, in Jesus' name, I don't know exactly who I'm preaching to this morning. God, I don't know who you have reached for. But God, I know that without you, we can do nothing. We need your anointing to move through the pews of this church right now. God, on the men and women, the young men, young women, young people and children of this church, God, to impress on us the power of a moment, to impress on us, God, how important our decisions are. That every decision be made with eternity in mind. That every decision be made with heaven in mind. And that every decision be made with hell in mind. One hour that can change everything. Can I tell you? Your marriage can get better or it can fall apart. Your children can pray through or backslide. You can get on fire for God or you can fall into the abyss of spiritual coldness and death. And it all comes from decisions made in a moment. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, I'm going to open the altar. And immediately, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar if you feel like God's dealing with your heart. But just a minute, I need somebody to help me pray all over this place. You know I don't like preaching this way. You know I don't like preaching this way. You know I don't like it when God puts that kind of a burden on me. But when I, I feel like I'm chasing I feel like I'm chasing somebody's soul trying to turn them around and I'm doing my best but I'm not able to catch up. I feel like I'm trying to get somebody to get serious about their soul and quit playing with the world but I'm struggling. I'm struggling to feel like I'm getting through. I'm trying to tell them that one moment that this hour can change everything. Come on, let's pray all over this place. All over this house, let's pray. From the front to the back and the left to the right. God, have your way, Lord. God, have your way this morning. God, stir the soul. Come on, let's pray. I need somebody to help me pray. There's eternal decisions being formed in people's mind. The devil is trying his best to destroy, but God is here in mercy and grace to restore and to save and to set free. In the name of Jesus. Look, we got an evangelist tonight, but humor me for just a moment. Why don't we stand and lift our hands to heaven and say, God, I want you to help me to make the right decisions today. Help me to make the right decisions for my life. Help me to make the right decisions for my soul. Help me to choose the proper destiny today, Lord. Help me, oh God, I pray. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me, Lord Jesus, to stir myself to seek you. And he looked to Peter and said, could you not watch with me? Could you not stay with me for that decision moment? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. Somebody needs to bring their flesh to the altar right now. Somebody needs to bring their flesh to the altar right now. If I preach to you and you know you're in a battle for your soul, you ought to come right now. If you know that the devil's been trying his best to get you. But you know that God is reaching for you right now. Why don't you come? Make your decision. It's the power of a moment, it's the power of your time. Oh God, I pour myself out. I pour myself out at this altar. I pour out my soul, God. I ask you, God, to cleanse me. Come on, y'all, to talk to him. He's here. Somebody needs to be baptized in Jesus' name today. Somebody needs to repent right now. Somebody needs to walk away from temptation. Come on, y'all to open your mouth and y'all to call on heaven. God, I need a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, I need a fresh baptism. I need a fresh desire, God. I need you to stir me, Lord Jesus. Help me not to be asleep, Lord, when that moment comes. When my hour of decision comes. Help me not to be asleep. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. If it's not you I preach to, you ought to begin to pray for a family member that you know is in the clutches and they need God to move. Oh, Jesus. Come on, there's a move of the Spirit here for somebody. There's a move of the Holy Ghost here mercy and grace of God has come in this place. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, this is the most important moment. This is your most important this is your most important time oh God I'm making my decision somebody ought to repent right now God help me to purify my heart and spirit
1: Apostle Paul reminds us that knowing the time, it is high time that we awake out of sleep. For now, everybody say now, is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Believing is just the first step in this journey to salvation. Once we believed, then obedience comes into effect. If we believe that Jesus is coming soon, if we believe the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's time to obey. We die out to sin and repentance. We're buried with him in water baptism in the name of Jesus and resurrected to walk in newness of life. Don't stop short in your journey. Every time somebody stopped along the journey, they performed or or, or created a denomination. But we know that God's got one church. And when we obey this gospel, and I'm going to say even after you get the Holy Ghost, it's not over yet. But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Has anybody got a made-up mind today? I'm going to endure Praise the Lord. I believe we've already got some folks that are going to be baptized, receiving the Holy Ghost. God's doing a great thing here today. and If we get a determination, I thank God for a pastor that will preach the burden God has laid on his heart. It's not always easy. It's easier to preach something that gets everybody up shouting and running around the church. But I'm telling you, We can shout in heaven, too, if we can get there. But we've got to make it first. It's not over yet. The warning that David spoke was, Oh, Lord, don't let me sleep the sleep of death. Awaken me lest I sleep the sleep of death. Why don't you turn over to your neighbor and shake their hand and say, Let's wake up. It's closer than it's ever been now is the day of salvation. Now is accepted time. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, why don't you walk up here and say, well, Carson, I want to be getting baptized. Or find somebody near you and say, I'm ready to get baptized. Let's see somebody obey this gospel today in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the word of God. We pray that you'll keep us now, Lord, in this day. Help somebody to obey the gospel this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Remember service tonight, prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. Service at 6.30. Let's fill the prayer room up tonight. Prepare ourselves for worship in the word of God. God bless you in Jesus' name.